This is Creator Culture by Hashtag Paid. Hey, I'm Danny DeSatnik, and this is a podcast all about creators. No matter the size of their audience, the creators that come on this podcast are underrated and people I'd theoretically want to invest in. Today's guest is Donovan Beck. It's hard to put him in a creative box because he really does it all. On social media, he's best known for spoken word poetry. Donovan's built an audience of over 430,000 followers on TikTok. And you read his comment section and it's probably the best part. You can tell how his videos inspire and comfort his followers time and time again. And he's a creator that wants to leave a legacy of helping others live their best life and making sure they see the light at the end of the tunnel with whatever they're going through. There's a lot of meaning in the content that he puts out and the world is definitely better because of it. Before we get to the episode, here are three things about Donovan you should know. He's a film director and has pursued creativity far beyond social media, which kind of leads into the second point. He's also a published author and has a second book on the way. And the last thing is that he started posting on TikTok after losing a bet to a friend. Imagine what would have happened if he won. And with that, let's get to the good stuff. Here's my conversation with Donovan Beck. For me, like I love music and listening to some of my favorite artists who create from feeling, I'm always like, I don't understand that. Like, I can't get a couple words out that like feel exactly right. So when was that like, when was that change or what was that spark for you? Yeah. Anne Lamont is a poet and professor um, and her book Bird by Bird has a really good quote that words is the best. Poets are the speakers of the, uh, of the invisible. Poets are the speakers of the invisible. And what that means for me when I was going through and I found spoken word poets online like Andrea Gibson and Rudy Francisco um, and Shane Cousin, I didn't know how to word anything I felt. I couldn't, I couldn't find those processes or those words. Um, but then I found Madness Face and um, A Literature Brokenhearted and uh, To This Day. And I found these poems that made the feelings that I was feeling tangible. When we are able to word something, when we're able to give something a title, we can then better hold it in our hands. And that's the power of poetry. That's the power of writing for a lot of people is, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't have words for this. The poet comes and says, here are the words. And in the process of listening, in the process of memorizing and becoming so connected to these artists and their works, I was better finding the words. And I finally had this ability to, to say what I was wanting to say because I was reading these works that made it a little bit more sensible. I was listening to these works that made it a little bit more clear. And then eventually I wasn't sitting in my room alone saying, I don't have these words. Wait, I do. And then I start writing and then I start sharing. It's the reason why I tell like the students that I work with in writing and they ask, like, how do I become a better writer? You read first, you write second. You find good writers that you are inspired by and that make you feel make you feel inspired and, and visionary to the world. And then you start writing. Because if you don't have the words, go look for them. Go find them in the in the space. Um, and so when it came to these poets and uh, as I found my own journey through poetry, it was like, okay, now I have these words. How do I want to share them? How do I want to, how do I, how can I take these words and fit them into my story a bit better? I get the comment that I that people when they hear me perform my poetry, they're like, "You sound a lot like Rudy Francisco." Yeah, because my entire inspiration um, in how I create art is because of the, is because of the work of people like Rudy, and that's how I would say is that in the art of being inspired, you're then able to create your own art of inspiration as well. Do you think everyone has the ability to be an artist to be able to tap into those feelings? Hundred percent, 
100%. I write about this so often. Artists aren't unique. We just understand the world a little bit differently and we're taught the world a little bit differently. Um, everyone's an artist and everyone, um, as an art advocate, right? Um, as a person who's like, I want to be able to help artists create livings and situations and where they can pursue art at all times. I get the feedback and the critique a lot of like, well, not everyone should be an artist and not, uh, not everyone is all this. And I'm like, I'm not saying that everyone should go be an artist. I'm saying everyone should live a lot like more like artists. And what I mean by that, and I wrote about this in a recent newsletter, I really love in the hiking community that we have the phrase, leave no trace. And which is in the hiking community, we say, don't harm the environment, don't leave trash, don't, as if you were never there, leave no trace. But in the art world, the, the quote, leave no trace is a really bad recommendation. Artists leave our trace. We say that we were here. Artists live in reality in saying, I'm going to exist in this world and create something rather than only take away from it. And that's really, really powerful. And it's the reason why I say everyone can be a lot more like artists in which they can say, how can I give to this world a bit more? Um, I find art in a lot of things, not just artistic mediums like paintings or photographs or things like that. Go to a bar, watch a bartender talk with people. That's art. It's a really artistic mode of experiencing, of engaging back and forth with multiple people, handling people's emotions and bouncing and making comedy and laughing with each other. Watch that. Um, watch the way that coders and UX designers and engineers code programs. There's an art to it. And that's because they're, they're engaging in this world a lot more intentionally rather than just feeling like they're being pushed by the by the flows of life, that things are just happening to them. An artist says, no, let me be in control. And so, yeah, I think, I think everyone can be artists. I think it's also realizing that art is just curiosity made manifest, right? Um, earlier, we were talking about uh, Google and like finding answers to questions that we have that can usually be found. Yeah, an artist just tries to find answers all the time. And that's a really powerful thing. Um, is that we just engage in the world, and so I don't think it's just I don't think it's just a small collection of crazy people who have this artistic ability or talent. Uh, anyone can be an artist. When you talk about being an artist, you brought up a word intention. How do you be intentional? And maybe I should push it even further into twenty twenty two. How do you be intentional when social media is like the real estate that you run on? And there's so many distractions, and there's and there's more, there's more content, and there's more videos and photos being pushed in front of your face than ever before. So in the in this field of existentialism, um, and I and I study communications. So if you ever hear me like go on these like hypothetical <laughs> tangents, this is because this is all I do. But in the field of existentialism, existentialism is the study of reality, is the experience of reality. Um, and in the in the field of existentialism, we talk about the fact that there is a world in which exists and a world in which people think that exists. And the best way that I can explain this is I think that relationships fail because one or two people want to get married. And what that means is, is that the person who wants to get married focuses so hyper-intentionally on this idea of marriage and everything's going to go right and how can I set up things so that like, when they do propose, it all works out and all this sort of stuff, that they spend so much time curating this world that doesn't exist yet, that they forget about the world with their partner and then their partner feels neglected and alone. And even though this person might love them so much, the relationship fails because they weren't actually there with their partner. 
they were living in a different world that was away from reality. The way to live intentionally is to find a way to get the world in which you try to curate more and more closer to reality. And what that means for us in the social media space exactly is stop curating worlds that are just fake and take people on journeys and take people along the road that is your life. Um, I have a lot of friends who are musicians who are trying to get into the social media space. And they ask me about recommendations of like, how do I, how do I become better on social media? Um, they're like, I post my music. Um, and like, when I finish a song, I post it up and share it, but nothing really happens. And I'm like, what other things happen when you make music? And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, have you ever made a video or posting about things that when you're creating or working in the lab or when the song doesn't sound right and so you change it or trash it, you actually bring someone on the journey of your experience as an artist? And they're like, no. And I'm like, show them that. Intentionality is simply the idea of, I'm going to choose this because this is something that I actually want to do. This is something that I want to create. And the issue with social media is that we, we constantly think that we need to create something for the audience or for the viewers that are going to come to it. Instead of saying, this is something that I want to do. My art and the, the videos that I post as a, as a poet and a filmmaker objectively aren't the best thing for social media. <laughs> and this is like, when I work with brands, this is a hard thing I have to explain to them all the time because they're wanting like the super hard intro five seconds in and like high, like quick edits and all this sort of stuff. But my videos are made because the goal that I have with them is to say, no, I want to bring people into this and slow down and stop and enjoy a moment together. That's my goal. And sure, I might not grow on social media as quickly as I could because my goals aren't conclusive to the environment of algorithm or whatever, but I'm still going to choose the path that best fits my reality in my world. I'm still going to choose the one that I want to. And that's intentionality. It's a hard choice to pick because it might, it might mean that things don't work out as quickly as you want them or need them to. But at least you know that you chose that path. You know that you chose the path that best situated with your heart, which I think is really powerful. You said something on a previous interview that I watched and the quote goes, I don't create for an audience. I create for one person who needs it the most. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never heard that. Man. Let me actually take a step back. I've heard that in different permutations, but I haven't heard it as explicitly as that. I've heard, oh, I create for my friends. And then, and that's a great representation of the world. And if my friends like it, I know my job's done. I've heard I create for like the people that I want to be. I, I've heard I create for the person that I wish or I'm create for the per for the person that I wish had what I what I'm creating right now. But you said I create for one person who needs it the most. And that is the antithesis of social media. Yet you're crushing on social media. Over four, I think it's over four hundred K or three hundred K on TikTok at least. Where does that come from? How do you how do you embody that in the, in this world of twenty twenty two? Yeah, the the quote is was one of the best pieces, and it's the reason why I quote it so much in so many interviews and when I work with students. Um, it was some of the best advice I was ever given as a filmmaker. Um, one of my one of my mentors in the filmmaking industry was the one who gave me that piece of information. But what it means is, especially now, we there's a New York Times article a couple weeks ago talking about that we officially passed over the 8 billion person mark um, in terms of the world population. The reasoning that that quote resonates with so many people is because it, you have to then take 
the uncomfortable realization that your problems aren't unique. And that's a good thing, is that you are not alone in this. Um, uh, again, with existentialism, John Paul Sartre words this as our forlorness, is that we are born and will die in this world alone. However, everyone will, which means we are all in this together. And so we've all experienced grief. We've all experienced or will experience loss or these litanies of emotions and things and back and forth. And we all will experience them and we will feel like we are the only person who's experiencing these things. And we are also alone and no one will ever understand us. But the goal of art is to share your broken parts and hey, and say, here, I see you. I understand. I'm with you. And the beauty of deciding to create your art for one person and being very, very specific about who this art is going towards is that the odds are in a, in a world of 8 billion people, it's going to resonate with a lot more people. The issue when you try to generalize all of your art and your work and make it like, I need to make this so that an audience of 18 to 25 year olds like this work is you're not really saying anything. Is that you, you're, you're diluting your language and diluting what you're saying so far down that uh, no one's going to really resonate with it. The example I can give is everyone has had a troubled past. And that's a really general statement that I can say as a person. However, when I say, and this is a poem for the people with sandpaper in their history, and that is specific this is for the people who are still wishing on stars for the nights to end. This is specific. This is going towards one person. But in proxy, that means so many people will understand. Because when I walk into a room or a school and start speaking and talking about anxiety or mental health or depression, and I'm saying a specific story about that, and I ask, has anyone else experienced that? Even though they might not raise their hand, there's going to be at least hundreds of students who want to. And so the beauty of I don't make art for an audience, I make it for one specific person who needs it the most is I'm looking that person in the eye. And the reason I give this to a lot of people who are going into social media and into content creation is realizing that a group of fans isn't watching your video. It's not like 20 different people sharing a phone, like unitarily scrolling together. It's one person. A, social media is a one-on-one -on -one connection with somebody. And it's the reason why I think a lot of people resonate with my work and, the, and how I say that my goal is to slow people down in social media is there's a lot of nights that like that I get comments that are people saying, I've just been doom scrolling and your video popped up and I had to stop and I got to sit with you just for a minute. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And that's always my goal, to say, I see you, I understand. Well, what's interesting is you're bringing such a necessary tone and so-called called vibration to social media on IG and on TikTok. Yet you started on TikTok because you lost a bet. Yes. <laughs> How long, let's say that moment happened and you won the bet. How long after do you think, do you think you would have ever posted? Or do you think that moment was super necessary and where you are today? <laughs> I don't ever like to think of worlds that uh, that are different than the one that's already happened. But to answer the question, I probably would test it. I think I probably would. I think I probably would mess around with it at some point. However, there were a series of questions that I asked myself after losing that bet that I don't think I would have asked without it. 
that being, how am I going to do this? And being really intentional because I was now challenged by a friend. I was now saying like, hey, you need to go do this thing. It wasn't just like, oh, I want to see what happens or I want to test it. Like, no, you're going to go do this. But then I had to ask myself the questions of how will I do this? And for me, the the answer could have been, I'm going to record this on my phone, uh, front-facing camera, recording it through my AirPods and just like say something to the wind. But I was like, no, I need to do this to how it would make my soul feel happy and how my friend has known me through my entire artistic journey. He knows I'm not just going to do something half-accredited or half-assed. And, and so um, that's why we chose the cameras. That's why we chose the audio equipment and the lighting and everything and made this really intentioned version. So I think I would have always been curious about TikTok, especially as I found and discovered more and more artists um, in my algorithm push me away from TikTok dance trends and more into the artists who are sharing their work. Um, but I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that bet. And I have to always admit that. And every time I'm with my friend, I buy him a drink because of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're eating nice. You're eating nice day yeah. in, day out. <laughs> what's, your, what's your relationship with social media like today? Oh, I was just having a conversation with a friend at a coffee shop recently about this. Call me big brother. <laughs> I love social media and I will always say that it's and I have this conversation with a lot of my uh, mental health advocacy work because in the mental health conversation there's always like social media is ruining the mental health of so many people and I'm like yes but it's also saving them um, it's a really it's a really tough double-edged sword it's the most powerful tool we've ever created as a species and I think it's incredible however what I've realized over the course of time uh, especially over this past year and a half as I've done this full-time, this is now my job. Uh, social media is my tool to be able to express myself. And I have to look at it as a tool the same way I look at my cameras or my computers as a tool. Art is my expression as art is how I connect with people. Social media is just the methodology I get there. And the reason I say I was having a conversation with my friend um, was I don't post my personal life that often uh, and I post about the honesty of my personal life if I'm struggling, if I'm going through things. But I keep my parents and my siblings' faces off my social media. Um, I keep my exact location or where I am out and about in the day um, off social media unless I want to have people come and like I want to connect with people. Um, and one of my friends was asking me, like, why don't you just make like a second account or a private account um, and just do that? And so you have something for like, you're like Finsta or whatever. And I, and I explained, when I turn on Instagram or social media, I'm looking at it as a tool in which I can create things or connect with other creators in a, in a both artistic, but also in a business way, because this is a part of my business. So I don't have the relation or personal connection with social media, as I think a lot of most people do, which is not to say that I don't hate it uh, or that I don't like it or, I, or that I hate it. Um, I think, again, I think it's incredible and I love getting to find other artists and me and my friends who are all writers, we constantly share uh, other writers that we find online's work with each other. But I don't look at it as like, oh, I want to like um, post about my trip to the beach <laughs> on it, um, unless I'm trying to do that for some other larger reason um, or, or advocating for people to go outside and travel. Um, it's a tool for me, which has its pros and its cons. There's times where I open up social media and it stresses me out because I'm looking at it as a as a tool or as a process of my business, um, which is unfortunate. And I think that's why a lot of creators get burnt out of social media at times is because 
they're not being cognizant that it's stressing them out at times. Um, they think that that's normal. 100%. It's interesting when you look at social media as a tool because it almost feels like it's part of a process, but it's not the full process. Like I just interviewed a creator, Elliot Walker out of Chicago, and he really wants to create sitcoms in Hollywood. Like that's his whole thing. And so so TikTok to him is just proof of concept. Like it is, he's like, yeah, to me, it's just a tool. And it's similar to Hinge. For him, he's like, success is when I delete it. Like I can get to my point and I, and I can delete it. Do you ever think you'll go off of socials and just into these communities and more and like the and written works like you are touring so that you don't have to be on socials? No, because... My largest goal is to create better and safer worlds for young people and artists. Um, I want to be able to help and fund and find and curate new and aspiring artists into this world. And it's the reason why I tell so many artists to share their work on social media is because they don't know what chances or realizations they can find when they do start sharing their work instead of keeping it all in their lab or on their bookshelves. And so I want to find, I want to find ways to discover those artists, um, and especially internationally. Um, and so I will always keep social media because it's my friends and I who are all writers. This is my friend Izzy and Christy and a bunch of other people. And we have a group chat all together. And the cool thing about our group chat is that over the course of the past months, we've actually been progressively adding a couple more people into our group chat outside of just myself and Kira and Christy and Whitney. But now we're finding artists online like Regan. Um, and we're like, hey, we are in this group chat. It's all of us. We're all writers and we're all sharing our work online. We'd love to have you in it. And I want to give them spaces and, and ability to be connected with people. And so I will always think I'll have social media for that reason. Um, but I definitely understand Elliot's point. I definitely, um, if there's larger goals and larger things that need to be done, then I would be writing so much if I didn't have social media. I get it. But it's it's something very powerful for me. And especially with my larger goals in the art realm and the art world, um, social media will always be a tool in which I can help and I can find ways to help or create other or working, helping create artists in the world. Mm. Talk about helping other artists and wanting to uplift other artists. What do you look for in an artist? What's the signal? What are the indicators to you that this person, and this is a, a selfish question for you, like what do you look for that connects with you? Not like, oh, if you're a talent manager, what would you look for? But for you personally. So there's two answers to your question. One, I can tell an artist is going to be successful in this field and within five minutes of our conversation, most typically. And hang on, is that intuition or are you asking specific stuff? It's a mixture of both because I can ask and hear the responses of, I really want to do this or I'm going to do this. And when I hear artists with the differences in tonality in those two, in those answers, um, I know. I'll put it in this analogy. I know a lot of really amazing creatives. I know very few artists. And the reason I say that is when I work with a lot of creatives and, they, and they, they, they're talking to me about their ideas and what they want to do and they have these amazing, expansive ideas and storyboards and mood concepts and all this sort of stuff. And that's it. That's where it sits. And it stays in this concept. It stays in these ideas. And there isn't a lot of action being taken towards this. Um, I, I remember we were talking to a group of artists that said, I told them, there isn't much difference in a film with a $50,000 budget and a $5,000 budget. 
if they can create a story around it, they're going to tell the story no matter what. And this is the indie movie creator's ideal. I know a lot of absolutely incredible indie films are produced with less than $5,000 budgets. And the reason is because they were so driven on, I need to tell this story. An artist will know that this is the answer, that this is the only world in which it makes sense, and this is the only world that they can create and do things in. And so they strive towards that. The most powerful artist is the one who keeps creating, even despite obstacle or things like that. And so when I hear artists tell me, I really want to do this thing or, or whatever, I understand their, their feeling towards wanting to do this. Go do the thing. I really, really want to write. I really want to find a way to write books. Amazing. Go write books. Go write and share your work and do these things. And when you do so, you're, you're saying to the world, this is me. This is who I want to be. This is what I'm going to be. And that's really powerful. And that's the reason why when I talk to a lot of artists, I can tell within the first couple of minutes of our conversation how really driven they are. Now, with this, um, my thing for what the artists that I want to find and the artists that I want to create with and, and help support and find ways to support um, are artists who are breaking barriers and breaking down bars and walls, um, who are breaking space, as I like to call it. Um, my goal as an artist who talks about mental health, especially as a male Black person, is I break the space of what most people think about male Blackness, about being a Black male. Um, and so I love to find artists who are challenging these ideas or these stereotypes or these fields um, and are pushing their own work because they want to share who they are um, and create it. Um, one thing that's been a hard mental journey for me. And I remember having a conversation with uh, someone on a podcast um, where they said, what was it being like? What is it like being one of the only black men who are sharing a lot of their writing work online? And there's Rudy and there's a lot of people. And that hit me really hard because I realized that in that exact moment that, oh, I am. Um, and not that I'm trying to like, oh, I am the inspiration for, for young black writers. Um, but I think that I probably have been. And I think that there have been younger Black kids who were just like me who are struggling with their mental health when they were 16 and wanted to find someone who looked like them and sounded like them and find a way that they had the courage to say, oh, this person could do it, so so could I. I want to help artists who are making those spaces, who are trying to do the best that they can. And so when it comes to supporting those artists, those are the artists that I'm always looking for. Um, the ones who are saying, this is my answer um, and I want to change the world because this is what means the most to me. So when you find these artists, what is the most impactful way in which you can help them? And maybe this question's kind of packaged in a way for everyone listening. Like, what, what can you do, regardless if it's if it's race, if it's gender, if it's industry, tradition, whatever it may be? Like, what can be done? What's most powerful? So this is the largest goal of, the, of what I do. Um, I think like a lot of artists, especially now, and I think there's the there's the artist who's starting their career. There's the artist who's in their career, and there's the artist who's trying to find out what's next for their career. I think I'm in that bracket who's just like the in-between um, because I want to find what's next. I love writing poetry and I there's an artist who's in their career. There's an artist who's in their career or who's beginning their career, an artist who's in their career and the artist who's finding what's next for their career. I'm in the process of trying to find what's next. Um, and whether that's longer form things, but also setting the stage for what I want to be a way to what I call bringing back patronage. Um, historically, we art was never free. 
historically art wasn't free. We just, over the course of the past 50, 100 years, have taught artists that they need to be the starving artists and all artists free. And if you get money for your art, you're a sellout and all this sort of stuff. But the Sistine Chapel was a patron piece. Nearly all of traditional architecture was patronized. And so I want to find ways to be able to find artists and creatives and say, hey, I believe in you. How can I help? How people can do that right now if they don't have like funds or money or stuff is, hey, I believe in you. Let me share your work. Let me find ways to connect you into the field and whatever. It's the reason whenever I find filmmakers or artists, I spent so much of my life inside of the film industry. And a lot of people get surprised is that they'll tell me about them working in films or wanting to start. And I was like, hey, um, I know this really incredible producer um, who's always looking to expand their network and their team. So let me give you guys their email so you guys can stay connected if there's anything that comes up. That's a really powerful way of networking and helping artists. My largest goal is I want to start a residency program for artists um, where I can help artists not only just in the the educational and artistic realm and how do we like how do we take your concept or what you started to create and make it even better um, through uh, workshop and critique, but also I want to be able to say, how can I help you pay rent? Um, the example I give is the most valuable resource you can give an artist is time. And time looks like a lot of different things. Um, time can look like better equipment. Time can look like can look like new cameras or whatever. whatever. Time can also just look like, let me pay your rent. Artists would the the amount that an artist could create if they didn't have to pay rent. Oh my God, that is the most powerful and liberating thing you can give them. Um, that's what Meta and Instagram gave me, and that was an incredible liberating thing. And so that's what I want to be able to do is to be able to create a situation, a program in which I can run a residency program for artists across the world. So talk to me about what Instagram and Meta have done are doing for you with with we the culture i think that's so cool yes we the culture is meta and instagram's black artist collective and so what that is is every year meta is going to select a group of around 75 black artists from across the country and support them and that support looks like a lot of different ways not only just background support in terms of your partner manager as well as access to a lot of meta and instagram's tools and resources but also financial support um, so everything that I post um, at the end of each month, Meta pays me for, um, which is a really amazing thing. It's an extension of their bonus program that they run on social media publicly, but specifically dedicated at a higher rate for Black artists. Um, and it's it's one of those things where every social media company right now is trying to find out how they can uh, how how can we be inclusive and be sure that we're supporting people of color? And Meta said, let me put our let's put our money where our mouth is. We're not just going to shout you out on just a page with 500,000 followers. No, we believe in your mission. We believe in your goals. How can we help and how can we make your life better? And that was one of the most liberating moments uh, as an artist and a creator to have an organization like Instagram and Meta say, hey, I believe in you. I not only just believe in you, I believe in you enough to support you in ways that most people would never. And so what did that unlock for you? You said the best thing you can do for an artist is give them time because of the program that you're in with Instagram, with Meta, what has that afforded you in terms of being able to explore or think about or a bias towards action? The two things it's done is one, allowed me to be specifically and only the artist that I want to be. I don't have to take any brand deals or um, money from any company that I don't actually believe in, but I needed to make 
I needed to make ends meet. I didn't have to do that because I always knew each and every month Meta had my back, which is a really liberating thing. Um, it's actually three things. The second thing is the requirements that they give me and the expectations that they have of me as an artist and a creative in terms of um, our monthly posting, our engagement with the community and the network kept me moving. And I think a lot of artists could feel this as if they don't have any requirements and they don't have any expectations of them, they'll just fall back and just sort of, ah, I'm going to keep on writing this because I need it to be perfect or I need it to be great and amazing before I can share it. No, I have to hit eight, eight posts each month or I'm not going to get paid. No, I have to be engaged with the program or I'm going to be dropped from this program who's offering me so much. A lot of people would think that those expectations are hard or harsh to like, you can't go expecting something from artists. No, you should. It keeps, it keeps them responsible as well. Um, and so that was really powerful. And the third one was it gave me, again, that time to say, write the next book, to say, create the pieces of art that you want to do, um, to pull me from a nine to five job and say, go experience time with other artists and creatives, go challenge yourself in those ways. And it connected me with so many incredible organizations and people, um, which I'm incredibly thankful for. It gave, vo it gave my voice more standing, um, which I couldn't be more thankful for. Uh, so there's a lot that it gave me, uh, but I think those first two are the really strong ones. It's incredible. It's cool being being able to see and, and talk to someone from just such a raw place of what it means to them versus like, oh, it gave me the opportunity. Oh, thanks so much. It gave me money. But no, like there's there's true things that you're putting it towards. And one of those things you said was time, which allowed you to publish books or a book and then upcoming books. What's that process? What what's that process like, man? Of going from being on creating films, which is a whole process in itself, and then doing your own thing on social media, creating, creating, and then that relationship. And now there's something actually physical that you're creating. What's what's that like? Creating something physical? Yeah, it's over there on my bookshelf. Um, I have a couple of, a couple of copies over there that I keep. Uh, I cried. I cried when that first book, that first package of books came in. I, I did. Simply because the thing about A Fool's Guide, which is my first book, A Fool's Guide to the Universe, A Fool's Guide is three and a half years of my, of my life, roughly. Before anything was social media, it was my journey through mental health. It was my journey through love and loss and grief and all of these things. And these are just poems that I wrote as a way to outlet my mind. And I would share them at some open mics that I went to. But realistically, that those collections of poems just existed on my computer. TikTok happened and a, a friend of reminder happened and the community grew so rapidly and so quickly. And then I was inundated with the questions, have you written a book? Um, do you have somewhere that's like more of these poems or poems like this? And I would look over and over again at this, at this file on my computer that held these poems. And I was like, we need to share this. Um, and so that's the honesty of that book. It's the, the first page literally talks about this is three and a half years of my life that you hold in your hands. I hope it helps in some way. The title is A Fool's Guide to the Universe. I don't know if any of this is right, but I hope that it makes something a bit more clear for you. Um, and that was the goal of this one. Uh, Sunbreak, Notes on Hope, which is my second book that I'm finishing writing right now, is everything since, is everything that's happened since going on social media and really diving into what do I want to say with my life? What do I want not just my tombstone to say, but my legacy to say? Um, and that's, a, that's been a really 
contentious question that I've been doing with so much of my life um, of this past year and a half, two years. And so what the answer became was hope. I want hope to be the pillars in which I stand on. I think that hope is our most powerful resource that we have in this world. And the thing that artists do so uniquely is that we instill hope into people. Hope is the aftermath of every hardship that we ever had. And so that was the goal. And so I, I, when I started writing the book, the main intention was I feel that so many poets and so many poetry books are about grief and hardship and loss and all these sort of things. I wanted to write from a poet's perspective the aftermath of those things, which is always hope. Hope comes after grief and loss. Hope comes after heartbreak. We will be better again. It will be okay. Um, and so I set out to write it. I set out to write that book. And now it has become 101 poems uh, and roughly 22 short essays about things that I've found as the most hopeful examples of humanity in the world. And that's what Sunbreak is about. So you're taking on this journey of not only poetry, um, but also just short essays, kind of like my newsletter, um, that talk about the idea of how do you find hope after your wife dies? Darash Manji, of Indian farmer, found it in digging a tunnel through a mountain to connect his village to the nearby hospital. That's hope. That's the power that hope has. Um, how do you feel, how do you find hope in the most dire of circumstances? Extremophile bacteria that live at the bottom of the ocean in thermal vents that are 5,000 degrees hot find it in the idea that they bring their metabolism down to 1% of its normal ability and say, as long as I have this 1%, I will keep going and I will keep living. And that's hope. And so the whole book is written about that. And it's, it's, been, a, it's been a wonderful journey in process of writing that. What I think is so unique about having a physical thing that you can tour with is that there's this word that everyone says, oh, you have a community on social media. And I think a little bit different because the gathering <laughs> audience equals community. I don't think comments equal community. But you get to see the audience come out. Like you get to actually connect with those people. Dude, that must be like the most powerful thing that you get to do is going from not only from your brain or from feeling moment to brain to paper to video, but now it's in front of people and seeing that reaction, that must be, that must be wild. I remember it wasn't something like a tour or anything, but I remember I was visiting a coffee shop in the San Diego area. And my book isn't my book isn't subtle. Uh, my book is a bright yellow six by eight <laughs> block. It's the sun yeah. with a with a solar map on it. Um, and so my book isn't very subtle. And so I remember going to this coffee shop, and I was in a little, a little bit of a rush. Um, but I like I look around as I do whenever I'm in spaces, and I remember just seeing like a bright yellow book on the table um, that someone was like they were like typing on their computer, and the book was just sitting next to them. And I like looked at it, and I was like was still rushing, so I went and ordered my coffee, and I was like, "There's no way, there's no way that that bright yellow six by eight block on their on their table is is a fool's guide." Um, and so I order my coffee and I'm like trying to be like this weird subtle guy that's like inching over and over trying to see what the title of the book is. And it was, it was a fool's guide. And then eventually they looked up from their computer and we had this moment and I said, Hey, I really like that book. Um, uh, and they're like, you wrote this book. And it was this really, really beautiful moment I got to have with somebody, um, who I've never been introduced with and I never had met before, but they, 
the interesting part is that they know so much of my life in the process of reading that book. Um, that's sort of the thing that I had to realize. And that was like a somewhat uncomfortable back and forth that I had with myself in which, um, especially I think a lot of people on social media realize this, is when I meet with people who are fans of my work, I feel partly terrible because they know so much of me and I don't know any of them. And that's hard. And, but I'm very always excited then to like try my best in our little short interaction to find out as much as I can about them as well. Um, so that disparity isn't as wide as it was before. Dude, on that point, I heard th- I heard you say this in another interview. Uh, you you talked about how like being vulnerable requires both parties to be open, like when both parties to go deep. But how do you do like? But to your point of like this like one sided relationship, then how do you be vulnerable on social if like it doesn't require anyone else watching this to be open and to go deep? So how do you how do you balance that being vulnerable? but still recognizing that you can't really get everything you'd love from it because there isn't that two-way the two-way street. So from the creator's view, I would recall back to my earlier quote, which is don't create for an audience, create for one person. Be specific. Imagine that person's across from you. What do you want to say? Or what is your art saying to them? From an audience perspective, be willing. Be willing to engage in those moments. There's a lot of times where I think... Uh, my art might be a hard moment for someone to engage with if they're going through their own mental health struggles or things like that. And they might, and they, they have the option to run to it. I'm sure the next video that you scroll off past mine is going to be pretty funny. They have the option to, to, to run past it. My, my thing would be to make a more vulnerable world and to make a, more, a world that's more act, open to these ideas of vulnerable conversations. You have to be willing. And so if you find these moments, you find these songs that, that itch at your heart or the these creators who are who are challenging your worldview or whatever it is say you know what I'm willing to be a part of this that's the power of vulnerability um and vulnerability makes these conversations that are hard at times a lot more easy um once we actually dive into them okay you start so you bring back the idea of creating for one and then that brings back the idea of intention and I think something that was so cool that you had said earlier, which I have heard you say in previous interviews, is that when you create your poetry on TikTok, you do it in a way that you want others to experience it. So the lighting is there, right? Like the high cinematography, the audio is there. How do you balance that with the fact that I'm just like, I'm just watching it on my phone and like the audio is okay (laughs) and like screens kind of small. How do you accept that in yourself to be able to put all this effort into it and that experience? It's almost like a director creating an IMAX film, but like I'm watching it like on my phone. Process is fun. That's the thing that like I hound to so many artists. Process is so fun. And that's the hard thing because we teach artists when we like the world tries to teach artists that they need to be so happy um, and so Yes, this is amazing with the, just the finished product, with just the picture on the wall or the music that's released to Spotify or whatever. But I'm so much on process is fun. I joke about it and, and people who are in the cinematography and, and camera making world, uh, rigging a camera is just adult Legos. That's all it is. Like having NATO rails and RE mount clips and all that sort of stuff, that's just our Legos. And that's all that is. And so when I'm setting up for recording for recording videos and I spend 45 minutes at some times to to move the 28 some 
30-pound C-stand back and forth across this room. That's my fun time. That's the time where I just I feel alive and I enjoy um, my process. And so um, is it a lot of work? Yeah, absolutely. But also it's it's what makes what makes my journey fun. I I don't think that I would have as much fun if I was just like had like a ten dollar phone tripod and and put it up there. I don't think I'll be having as much fun as I would be having right now um, when I take the time to create what I create. Cool. I like that answer a lot. Yeah, it's something that I've come to appreciate is love music and like definitely more of a audiophile than the average person. And so when an art favorite artist of mine puts out a work, it's like I want to hear it so that I don't go bankrupt and I'm not buying like thirty thousand dollar sound systems, but to a point where at least I can listen to it as close as possible to to how they wanted it to be heard or seen. Like I'm not a big movie guy, but when someone's like, I'm doing this on IMAX, okay, fine. I'll I'll pay and I'll go see it on IMAX. You as an audiophile person are the reception. You are a niece of the reception that part of the soul of the artist wants to meet with. My audience is is wide. There's people who are in my audience because they resonate with my writing and my writing style and how I write. They resonate with the messaging in terms of the, the actual mental health messaging and things that I'm talking about. There's also a section of my audience who are cinematographers and creatives and uh, directors who are like really love the visual aspect of my of my work. And they send me questions and ask, like, what do I film on? And we go into these long conversations um, and all of them gain something out of my art. The same way that someone who has no idea what my art is gains something out of my art. And so there's there's times where I'll get a message from somebody who's just like, I just really love how you looked that recently. I'm glad they did. And they got to resonate with it in whatever way was dedicated towards them. And so that's the beauty of it. I hear that. And I can see the way that you're answering it. Like, that's the truth. And that's a, it's great to see that, again, there's a, the understanding of the audience and there's the understanding of what people can get out of it. And there's the acceptance that it doesn't have to be the whole meal. But if you like the one piece versus the other, to you, it means a similar amount, which is amazing. I'm going to end off, I usually end off with five questions and we're going to get there. But there's one more thing I wanted to ask. You talked earlier about how being... There's a difference between being a creative and being an artist. And that distinction is those who have a bias towards action, those that actually create something as the artist versus creative who just have have those ideas. How do you see this whole generative AI world, man? Where it's so it's like <laughs> chat GPT. Yeah, right? Like I can be I can be the creative and I'm like, I don't really know how to like put things together in Photoshop or draw, but oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put in a query and it's going to spit out this like beautiful image of what I kind of dreamed up. Am I a creator now too? Because I can, and the last thing I'll say is I can even go back and imagine when your YouTube days and then TikTok comes out and all you have to do is just go like this, press a button, put a filter on maybe or put a sound maybe and put it out there. Are you a creator? Are you an artist? And we don't have to put you on blast, but like, how do you see that distinction? So I'll answer this in two parts. The the one the first part about art arts relation and there's there's two camps that are happening right now arts relation to AI and it's like AI artists won't be real artists because they're stealing the work because AI is trained on already existing art forms and work and pieces like that. Chat GPT made me question because again with my example about um, I find art in all things in which I can find someone who's a coder. Um, being able to f- to look at something and, and create and code. ChatGPT can f- 
find out errors with its own code. That's scary, which means that it is able to discern when it needs to do something better, which is a really core feature of the art realm. But to your question specifically about would you sending in a query to Dolly2 or whatever make you now an artist? No. And I'll qualify it because I would say if you could find the words to start the query, then you're already on the road to finding what you need to make. The example I would give is one of my professors is a, is a musician as well and makes psychedelic type music. And one of our classmates once asked him, he's like, well, do you just take drugs when you make your psychedelic music? And he was like, I found psychedelic music on drugs. He was working with another artist who, who they did shrooms together and they did uh, the that's how he started following all the psychedelic music. I started becoming an artist of psychedelic music when I found ways to make psychedelic music without drugs. And that's what created me into the artist that I am now. And that's really powerful because that means that he understood you can do these things without the assistance of what you think you need to. I am still a writer and a filmmaker. If you take away my computer and you just get and you say you can't use your big cinema rig over there you can only use your phone or whatever i'll still find a way to make a really beautiful film because i have the tools within myself to be able to create these things and i spent so long honing those tools to being and this is how a lot of this is why like one of the popular youtube tropes is giving a seasoned cinematographer a hundred dollar camera and a novice cinematographer a red camera and you'll see that the cinematographer still knows what they're doing because they can, they know how they've gone through the effort and the work. Using AI to create the ideas and stuff that you have is a cop out, would be my answer. If you have the words, you're already on you're already on your pathway to get there. Just find the ways to get there. Okay, well then I have to ask one I have to, I have to ask one other question. <laughs> no, you're good. I've heard you say that your poems come from moments and from feelings. And some of my favorite artists, some of them create from feeling and have said they create from feelings. You're Pharrell Williams, you're Maggie Rogers. And some say that distinctly that they create from moments. You're Tyler, the creator, you're Fred again. Is there a difference in creating from a moment versus creating from a feeling? I think that they're hand in hand. And, and what I mean by that is... Again, with my the whole living in reality thing, and artists just find ways to live in reality. Reality also isn't just the moments you experience, but the feelings that you connect with them at all times. There's been rooms that I've spoken at that I've been terrified of standing in. And I've written about that. Not just about the room that I'm standing in, but also the, the feeling that I hold in that space. That's why I think that they're interconnected. Is that you can't, you can't, you can't experience anything without your feelings being involved as well. And so that'll be my answer. Love that, love that. Well, here, I will, I'm sure we, honestly, we could go on for hours, yeah. but <laughs> I usually end the interview off with five questions and then we're, we're good to rock. And they're pretty, I'd say they're pretty simple questions. Um, and you can say pass, you can say pass if you want to, but there's nothing, there's nothing that deep. So the first question is, in what environment are you your most creative? Mountains. Mountains. Any, anywhere with mountains. Uh, I always, Yosemite is my favorite national park. Just being in my first book, there's actually a poem called Dear Mountains or a short, a short writing called Dear Mountains. Uh, I love the mountains because they will make you understand how insignificantly small you are to the world in the most beautiful way. And that's a really 
powerful and encouraging feeling to have at times. And so mountains. I like that. I like that a lot. The second question is, and I'm going to go one way with this, but I'll give you the other side as well. What has been a very impactful book? And sometimes I say like music album for you in your life. You can go, you can go either way. Oh. There's so many. I know. Oh, there's so many. I usually say like, what is your favorite? And I'm like, that's not a fair question because I know I would be like, <laughs> what type of cue is that? So just give me, just give me. So, one. so I'll actually give you three. So, <laughs> okay, uh, cool. the Alchemist by the Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, Speaking by jo- uh, George Gustorf, and. 12 Notes by Quincy Jones that I just finished uh, earlier this morning. 12 Notes or 12 Notes? 12 Notes, N-O-T-E-S. I am buying that. 12 Notes, I, by, oh, I am. 12 notes by Quincy Jones. If you are an artist or creator, it's absolutely incredible. 12 Notes, uh, just a short synopsis, talks about the fact that it's, it's his artistic view towards the world, but the, the reference to 12 Notes is... Both Mozart and uh, any modern artist you talk about had 12 notes and only 12 notes. The same way that any writer we have in the English language, you have 26 letters. In the film world, there's a, there's a scale of lights from 50,000 to 64,000 Kelvin. We all have these same things. Each artist's tool and task then is to do the best they can with those 12 notes. It's an absolutely incredible book. So that would be my answer. Those three books. I'm fired. Is that a new book? Yes. The best way to listen, the best way to experience it is an audiobook. It was written for an audiobook first. Oh, those are my. F- All right. Now, now I'm really excited. Okay, fine. Uh, I'm going to stop going on this Quincy Jones uh, <laughs> tangent. But question three is if you were given the opportunity to give a TED talk, either what would the title be or what would you talk about? The title would be The Most Powerful Resource, and it would be about hope. It would be about the role that hope has and has, has that has in our entire history. Okay, final two questions. Who is a creator? And when I say creator, you can ex- you can expand that to a writer, an artist, whoever. But who is a creator right now that you feel is underrated? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> so in in music, it's Jerry Folk. Um, Jerry Folk is this incredible house EDM lo-fi music that I've been really really loving. As a writer, Anne Lamont, um, I think, is a really just underrated writer as a whole. Um, and then on social media, Kyle makes short films. is someone I can recommend. Cool. like that a lot. So the last question is kind of similar. And it kind of goes to, but what, I'm excited about this because it feels like it's kind of your ethos. Who is someone, who is a creator right now that you would invest in if you could? And by invest in not so much from like the return, but someone that like you re- you really think has that thing to succeed. Um, so, so an artist I would say that I would definitely invest in would be Eli Stone. Just it, friend of Circle Park, friend of the fellow creators is like that is an ability to tell stories in a very unique way that breaks down spaces. Eli would be who I would pick. Amazing, man. So much from this, so much knowledge. You know, this is the first episode that I've recorded and this has to be, I don't know, it's like episode 50, whatever. But I was in a trance, dude. Like you started speaking (laughs) and I was just like coming closer to the screen. And I was like, oh, let me pull out. I don't really want to ask him about just social media. But this was, it was awesome having you on. I'm so glad that our mutual friend, Chris Duncan, 
recommended that you come on and connected us because this is has been powerful. I'm excited to follow on the journey. I'm excited to read that set the first and that second book. Keep doing you because it comes from a incredibly raw and, and strong place and just ex- excited to be a fly on the a fly on the wall as you keep doing your thing. I think there's so many things that you can take away from this episode, but the one that sticks in my mind and I was thinking about throughout that whole interview once Donovan spoke about it is that He believes there is an artist in everyone. And whether you believe that or not, I think the interesting thing is how he spoke about growing up. He didn't really have that vessel to express himself. And then he finds different artists and he finds different poets. And through their words, he gains the understanding. It's almost like learning a language. He gains the understanding of how he can then write and then better his craft and then be the person for other people that are in need in a very similar way to how those poets were the person he needs or he needed at times of hardship. And I think it's amazing to look at someone like this who is so talented, is so successful in his own right. And for him to just acknowledge that there are ways to develop, there are ways to take whatever is inside of you and put that out into the world in whatever creative means possible, but in a way that's fulfilling and in a way that you'll help to achieve maybe what you never thought would be possible. And all because you found the right artist, musician, poet, or a fine artist, who could give you the words that you didn't realize you needed or could give you the words that you felt, I don't know, were, were lost or could never be found. It's powerful. And with that, we have one more episode left in this season of Creator Culture before we take a break for the year. If you've been around, if you stayed around, if this is the first time listening, it's been awesome having you listen, even though I have no idea who you are. But if you wouldn't mind leaving a couple stars or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. And as mentioned, one more episode left. I hope you have an awesome week and we will see you next week.